0: This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: High snap, he fakes a handoff, he throws it over the middle, and it's caught running with a football to the 5, and into the end zone is Mohamed Sanu on that quick post over the middle. Well, this is not to pick on the Steelers' defense. But a lot of the porous pass defenses in the NFL also have good offenses. And I wonder what the reason for that is, if there is a reason. Let me answer the trivia question. The last time the Browns beat the Steelers was back in 2014. And they beat them soundly, 31-10. to 10. The question was, who was the Browns' quarterback that day? You know, they've had about 326 of them in the last 15 years. Um, the answer, Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer, who's from Cleveland, by the way, was the starting quarterback and winning quarterback that day. Stephen Bethel Park was the first correct caller. He wins the $25 gift certificate to the Carlton Restaurant. So here, here's your list. And this comes from the Post-Gazette. I stole it, but I'm giving credit. I'm giving attribution. The worst... Pass defense in the NFL, 25 through 32, right? This is yards per game. New England, 25th. The Browns, 26th. The Steelers, 27th. New Orleans, 28th. Cincinnati, 29th. Atlanta, 30th. Kansas City, 31st. Tampa, 32nd. But what's a common denominator here? Six of the eight have very productive offenses, and you could make it, I don't know, sort of six and a half because for the first three games of the year, whatever it was, Tampa Bay member was lighting it up. And even against the Steelers, they scored 27. So what's that about? I mean, everybody's looking at Kansas City and New England as the best two teams in the AFC, and indeed, the oddsmakers and the top two favorites to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. By the way, the Steelers and Chargers are tied for third in the odds to win the AFC. They're all in there. The Saints, a very good team. Falcons aren't, but they got a good offense. The Bengals, they're the Bengals, but they're the Bengals on offense and the Bungles everywhere else. So what's the correlation? The first thing that I thought of, and I'm going to solicit your responses here, is that prolific offenses tend to have quick strike capability. I mean, the Chiefs certainly have it. The Saints certainly have it. New England has it. The Steelers. It hasn't been that big of an issue yet, but they can move the ball. They, you know, there haven't been many drives where they've gone 80 yards, 12 plays, seven minutes. Maybe you don't see that in the NFL anymore. And I just thought, well, as often as the Good offensive scores. that means that their defenses are out on the field more. That's the only thing I could come up with. Now there's the old thing, well, you scored too quickly. You score when you have the chance to score. Now, Black Cat Murphy tweets, Teams with good offense are likely ahead in a lot of games. Therefore, the opposing team is forced to throw the ball more. I think that's a good call, Black Cat. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure where else I would go with that, though. I mean, I realize that a lot of it, at least as far as the numbers relative to the way the game is played these days, that makes some sense. I mean, that's a part of it. But we're not talking about this year versus last year. We're just talking about this year. I've also, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I've always believed this. If a team is, their defense is really good in one area, but poor in another, there's a cause and effect there. In other words, maybe you give up a lot more passing yards because you're really good against the run. So we can't run, we got to pass. Conversely, if you're a really good running team, maybe that's because people have no respect. For your pass game uh, they will always work hand in hand I'm not sure what the answer is here David says I'm just spitballing here but perhaps in this age of financial parity in the NFL combined with all the rules changes designed to make offensive success easier, Perhaps it's no longer possible for any team to afford both a dominating offense and a stifling defense? Question mark? Okay, I think that's another good point. But I also have to look at the draft. And, you know, we talked about the Steelers drafting cornerbacks and where they generally draft. Players aren't available. And not that cornerbacks are the only position you need on defense, but we look every year and we see some of the highest draft choices in, let's say, the first half of the draft are defensive players and most often defensive backs, maybe a great pass rusher. I mean, let's look at some of the number one overalls. Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett. You know, guys like that who can make a difference because that's the countermand to the great pass. If you're not able to get the great corner, then maybe you get the great pass rush to help you out. Now, it takes more than one guy on defense to build a stifling defense, it takes years. Offense, you got to start with the quarterback. But in most drafts, you see those DBs or the great pass rushers going very highly. Now, last year's draft was kind of a different situation because you had all those quarterbacks coming out. You had Darnold and Rosen, Mayfield, Josh Allen. Now, whether they turn out to be any good or not, it's a different story. But, you know, everybody was trading up. Lamar Jackson. Even the Steelers felt they had a much higher grade on Mason Rudolph than to be taken in the third round. They said they had it as a first-round grade. I don't know. Sometimes you do that to kind of polish the, trade, the draft pick that you made. But I, last year's draft was unusual. <clears throat> but if we go that direction and say, well, people are loading up for offense. I mean, indeed they are. But I also think when there's a great defensive player, He's likely to have more of an impact, unless it's a quarterback, than a running back or even a wide receiver. I want to ask that of Matt Williamson. He'll be joining us at 120. Coming up next, are the Steelers a better team today than they were in the opener at Cleveland? And what's going to happen with Artie Burns this Sunday? Dale Lolly of DK Pittsburgh Sports will join me next talking Steeler football right here on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh.
0: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
1: Shotgun snap Fitzpatrick throws for the goal line. The pass is batted and intercepted. Batted into the air at the six yard line by Boston and down at the six on the backhand to pull it in is Mike Hilton. My goodness, has he been around the ball. So the Steelers haven't created a ton of turnovers, but come on with their sacks. They look like they're getting better defensively. Atlanta's not a good team, but they do have a good offense. And you can't discount the last drive against the Bengals that the Cincinnati had, I mean. But to hold the Bengals to two touchdowns for seven-eighths of the game uh, is pretty good. Dale Lally from DK Pittsburgh Sports and, of course, the Steelers Radio Network and SNR. He joins us now on Saverin on Sports. How you doing, Dale? Good. How are you doing, Stan? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, I realize time will tell, but sometimes progress is slow and painful. Do you think the Steeler defense is getting better, and overall, are they a better team than they were on the opening Sunday in Cleveland?
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, the answer is yes to both questions, Stan. Um, I think the defense as a whole, uh, you know, when you look at it, has a lot of injuries on the back end. And I know it's just been, they haven't had the major injuries, but it's been a game here for, for uh, uh, Mike Hilton, or it's been a game there for... For Joe uh, Hayden or you know Morgan Burnett hasn't played uh, in the last month, Uh, so you know there have been some moving parts back there, and I think that's kind of hurt the team's development a little bit. Uh, But as you mentioned, the sacks are there; Uh, they were there last year, and that hasn't changed. And I think they've they've improved their run defense greatly. Uh, They're giving up three point six yards per carry to opposing running backs, which is way better than what they were doing last year at the end of the season for sure. And it's still better than what they were doing even over the course of last season.
1: All right, you've mentioned, you know, partially, we have to understand, uh, again, I, who would sit there and say, well, if Joe Hayden had played against Kansas City, they would have won. Um, yeah, it might
0: not have made a difference at all, but my, it certainly wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> right.
1: And someone would said, well, it couldn't hurt. Um, yeah. it's certainly, you're, you rather, we've seen that, that the, the stats tell you that, that they're obviously much better with Joe Hayden, not only in what he does individually. Um, but you know, uh, you know, if you, if you put him, uh, on a receiver, you can take that guy out of the game, like he did against Julio Jones. Uh, but aside from that and the fact that they really, and I'm going to get to this, that they really haven't fully been able to use the defense they wanted to, um, because of Morgan Burnett's injury. How much of a factor has that been?
0: Yeah, I think it's been a big factor. I mean, they they spent the entire training camp uh, working on that dollar defense, uh, and they I mean they repped it a lot, Stan, and even their 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 nickel and dime packages. And we haven't got to see what they thought it was going to look like throughout the off season. I mean, all, all off season long, we talked about how do they replace Ryan Shazir, Well, they use more safeties, and they do you know things with the the defensive backs. And because of that injury, they hadn't been able to do it. So we've we've seen the do, the dollar package, one play in Cleveland, uh, and so that that's been it. Um, I think it's back on the table now for sure, and I think that uh, you know some of the things that they wanted to do um, are also back on the table. They did discover some things though, like L.J. Fort. Uh, you know that was a guy that I always thought he was uh, was a pretty good player, and I thought he should have been more in the mix in previous seasons. Well, I think he's kind of played his way into the equation now because of, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So, uh, you know, they, they had to go out and, and find some other things to kind of cover things up, and one of them was L.J. Ford, so I think you're going to see more of him moving forward as well.
1: It seemed, we discussed this um, at the Mike Tomlin press conference. One of the residual benefits is not only getting Morgan Burnett in the lineup so they can utilize some of the defenses they had planned, but there is a ripple effect. Um, I'm of the belief, and this will get us to our next topic, um, that that would, if, if Burnett is back and ready to go, that would enable them to move Cam Sutton. Um, Cam Sutton is not Darrell Rivas, but um, do you think he's their best option on the other corner while Artie Burns struggles?
0: Well, I certainly think he gives him another option there for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody thinks that Cody Sensabaugh is the answer there and you know i think he's a fine backup i think if you have to play him you know here and there he's not going to kill you but you know cam sutton has some upside potential and you know potentially down the road he could he could be a starting uh, outside cornerback and certainly is a guy that they can do a lot of different things with so it gives you that opportunity to throw him into the mix out there as well and so You know, competition's never a bad thing. Maybe that that spurs Artie Burns on a little bit more. Maybe Cam Sutton takes the job away from him. Uh, But he can't do that if he has to play a dime linebacker, Uh, you know, because Morgan Burnett's out. They don't get the opportunity to do that with him. Now they have that opportunity opened up.
1: Uh, Absolutely, without a question of a doubt, which now leads us to Artie Burns. Um, You're at practice. You're there every day. Um, uh Artie Burns apparently intercepted a practice, a pass at practice yesterday. Does it look like he's going to start? And even if he does, is he going to be with a short leash and they'll continue with the rotation with, uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Sensabaugh and or Sutton?
0: Yeah, it looks like that. I mean, I would guess that the, the rotation continues, at least for now until Artie Burns shows that, he can be, a uh, you know, he can he, what they don't want with Artie Burns are the peaks and valleys. Um, you know, he, he, the two games before the last one, he played fine. I think he'd given up uh, five completions and 12 targets. Uh, it was like for 55 yards or something like that. They can live with that. What they can't live with is him just completely blowing assignments or drawing uh, silly pass interference penalties. Um, you know, the peaks and valleys are just too great with him right now for them to, to want him out there on a consistent basis. And as Mike Tomlin said the other day at, at his uh, press conference, when you put things like that on tape, teams are going to go after you. And so, you know, he has to expect that that's going to happen. And so, you know, that's why the rotation is going to continue. Uh, but if he starts playing better on a consistent basis, that, that all ends.
1: Would you say that Artie Burns has regressed?
0: I don't know that. I mean, this is this is something that, that young cornerbacks can go through. We saw it with Ike Taylor. You know, he got benched, uh, I believe it was in his third year. Um, You know, they they can go through these peaks and valleys. Uh, You know, you don't have to be a world beater out there. You don't have to be Rod Woodson. Um, But you can't have, you know, the highs and the lows. And when you do have the lows, you can't carry it into the next play. And the next play after that and the play after that, that's when it starts to, you know, to steamroll you in your your career. Um, You know, Artie Burns is still 23 years old. Uh, he's got plenty of room to improve. And, and, you know, you just wonder if it's going to happen here or somewhere else if, if it doesn't start to happen soon.
1: Again, which leads us to the question, we'll see it certainly be based on his play, but the Steelers have to make a decision on him, whether to exercise um, the option for a substantial amount of money. Um, if the decision had to be made tomorrow morning, I would guess, Dale, that they would say, no, we'll move on.
0: Well, I mean, you can always pick up that option and, and Come, cover yeah. your, yeah, cover your behind, and then you know pull it back. Um, you know, people. We had that same discussion in the off season with, with Bud Dupree. Do you pick it up, uh, or do you, you know, do you, do you roll the dice and, and hope that he doesn't blow up or have a, you know, you have injury to TJ Watt, and all of a sudden you're you're stuck now with no outside linebackers, um, and, and then you can also even if you pick that that contract up. You can still negotiate a long-term deal with that player as well that, that kind of low, lessens a blow on that. Um, but, I, hey, these, these next uh, 10 games or so for, are, are huge for Artie Burns in terms of what his career, what path it's going to take. There's no doubt about that.
1: Dale, this is a wide-sweeping question, and I asked you about is the defense getting better, and I think we agree that uh, it is, and we talked about the injuries, which has not allowed certain players to play, uh, and thus has forced players into other roles. But in general, outside of the injury factor, why is this defense better?
0: I just think that, that, that you have some young guys growing into their to their roles uh, in the NFL, and, and I think they made a they made a decision in the offseason to go back to the way they used to play defense, defense along the line, where you're having Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt and Javon Hargrave while they still get some opportunities to rush the passer, uh, they're more cloggers now than they used to be. Again, it's more like they, like Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel and, and, and Kimo Von Olhoff and used to play it. Uh, that helps you in the run game because they don't have a guy with 4-4 four, four speed playing behind that, that defensive line anymore to cover up the mistakes. You know, when you have those guys just simply rushing upfield and trying to get to the quarterback, it creates some lanes. Well, when you don't have that, that guy with the 4-4 four, four speed back there anymore, uh, those lanes, can can they can be exploited. Uh, as we saw last year uh, when they gave up, uh, I believe it was 400-yard rushers in the last five games without Shazier. Uh, they couldn't stop the run at all playing defense in that style. Uh, well, they decided this year to have those guys go back to the old style. It's freed up the outside linebackers to make four more plays. It's freed up the inside linebackers to make more plays. And those guys have come through. I, I don't think, I, you know, when we went into this season, I think everybody kind of felt that the, that the linebacker, linebacking core in this uh, this team was a weakness. I don't think it really has been thus far this year. I think they've, I think they've performed uh, above expectations to this point.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. It also represents a rapid change, um, really uh, three changes, <clears throat> because beginning last season. Keith Butler said, we want to get more pass rush from our down linemen. So he took away that two-gap responsibility and let him loose. Thus, Cam Hayward leads the team in defense. Why did they switch back? Because of their vulnerability against the run? Because they no longer had Ryan Shazier to cover up for them? Dale, you with us? Uh, I heard some – why don't you try them again, Greg? Um, I heard some cell phone tomfoolery going going on down there. Uh, You can hear it in the background, and bells and whistles going off. All right, let's try that again. Dale, you back with us?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you here, Stan. I was – Jumping in my car
1: here, so I can drive over and do my SNR show. So. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So you're on. The what way. happened there? I I'm on the way. I should have dragged you in the studio. Matt's going to be here. You guys going to get reunited? Um, the question I had was, um, you know, what you just mentioned. Um, this represents like a complete 360 because going into last season, Keith Butler said we are going to take away the two gap responsibility because we want more pass rush from our down people. So Cam Hayward leads the team in sacks. Now they've gone back to more, like you said, the pluggers that Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel were. Um, Was that because they got gashed against the run and they no longer had Ryan Shazier to cover up for them?
0: Well, I think there's there's several answers to that question. First of all, they they drafted, you know, if you think about it, the the previous two years they hadn't got much of a pass rush out of the outside linebackers as a group. Um, So the pass rush had to come from somewhere, and they have these two monsters uh, on, on their defense, and Cam Hayward and Stefan Toot. And they thought, hey, we're paying these guys a bunch of money. Let's pay them money to, to go rush the passer because they're both pretty good at it. And, you know, the other part of the equation was they didn't have TJ Watt at the time. Uh, Bud Dupree was, you know, still not emerging as a, as a, a, a force. Um, and so they decided that, you know, they had Ryan Shazier there. He could cover up for a lot of the mistakes, uh, or, you know, if, if guys exploited a, you know, a, a gas here or there, uh, or a gap here or there, then they, you know, they had a guy capable of, of filling that in. And you know, now they've gone back to just playing more technically sound defense, at least how we're used to seeing technically sound defense played in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, it's, it's back to the, the, those, those guys, as you mentioned, you know, playing the two gaps and, and holding guys up and allowing the linebackers to flow to the ball because I think the linebackers are, are are better, as I mentioned. I think they're they're a better group right now.
1: That would explain the slight. I don't know, slight. Uh, it's not rapid, um, but but they do seem to be getting better. Um, how much of that um, do you look at? Like we've mentioned, the change in defensive strategy. Um, uh, you know, a couple new coaches on the scene. Does any of that come into play or just the natural progression that T.J. Watt, you would hope, in his second year, is better than he was in his first?
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, Stan. I mean, to play that style of defense, uh, your linebackers have to win, and they have to get home. You, know, you, you, you set that defense up so your linebackers can make plays. Well, if your linebackers aren't making any plays or aren't capable of making plays, you're in trouble. Um, now they've got some some guys there that, that are capable of doing so. I think John bostick has been better than anybody would have anticipated as well, uh, so that helps. And you know, I, I think they're they're getting an adequate pass rush out of the outside. Even Bud Dupree, you know, he he's got three sacks already this year. Uh, he's got a bunch of pressures. He's been he's been more of a factor. Uh, I think the, the, the switch in sides has helped those two guys. Uh, you know, Watt says he's he's more comfortable. Uh, working off of that left side, he feels like he has more, uh, as he put it, he has more uh, pitches in his arsenal, his pass-rushing arsenal from the left side. He feels like he bends better from that side. And if he feels like he has more from that side, then he probably does. Um, you know, So much of that is, is just being mentally ready to go. And you know, I, I think that all plays a part in it. I, I just think they're, they've got a bunch of young guys in the defense. They've spent a bunch of high draft picks on it. Um, it, it should be getting better.
1: Last thing for you, Dale as your partner just uh, walked into the room, but I won't let him sit. You're not allowed to sit until Dale's done. Uh, You Show some respect, would you? Uh, (laughs) uh, We know in the past that the Steelers have had issues playing uh, a team, quote, that is inferior, end of quotes, to them. Usually that happens on the road, but there have been some instances here. uh, You're around them every day. Do you get a sense that there is a different resolve with this outfit?
0: I do. I, I think a lot of that, um, you know, stemmed from the years, uh, you know, like 2012, 2013, even into 2014 when they weren't a really good football team. You know, the Steelers were an 8-8 eight and eight team in two of those years. And, you know, that made the playoffs in 2014, but I still think we're, they were figuring out what they are. Uh, the last couple of years, that really hasn't happened quite as often. Um, You can look at the Chicago game last year, but I think there were some extenuating circumstances surrounding that game. And I think everybody looked at that Jacksonville game last year and said, oh, they let down against an inferior team. Well, was Jacksonville really an inferior team last year? I don't think so because they beat them twice. Uh, you know, they made the AFC championship game. So I, I think this is a much more mature team. I, I think they realize that they're running out of opportunities as a group to go and, and have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. So, you know, the focus is going to be there uh, week in and week out, I believe, with this football team.
1: All right, Dale, great stuff, great insight as always. Come on in here for the SNR show, which is on SNR Daily with Matt Williamson. What a segue. What a programming genius I am. (laughs) 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 That's why
0: you're the godfather.
1: Yeah, I guess. Well, then I I keep searching for reasons why that is, but that might be a a slight reason there. Dale, Thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday.
0: Anytime, Stan. Thanks.
1: Okay. Dale Lally does as good a job covering the Steelers as anybody in Pittsburgh, and he writes for DK Pittsburgh Sports and, again, as part of the Steeler Radio Network and SNR. Ditto his partner, his daily partner, Matt Williamson. Matt and I have been doing this for uh, a very long time together. He joins us next right here on Saverin on Sports on your home of the Steelers, ESPN Pittsburgh.
0: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
1: it off. Can it hook in? It's good! It's good! He made it from 59! Look at that face on Baker Mayfield. Can you believe it? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers win it in overtime.
0: I always have to go out and get them. I'm just really looking forward to getting another opportunity to go out and play with these
2: guys. Um, The bye week is nice and all but you kind of miss football and it's good to be back, and I'm uh, just happy to go out in Heinz Field and, and uh, have a good game.
1: And a Steeler outside linebacker, second year end, T.J. Watt. We know what happened in the first game, even Steven, although the Browns were helped greatly. They did, but they came back, and whatever. Matt Williamson joins us now. Let's just start with the base guys, Dale, this question uh, about the Steelers. Um, let's look at both teams. Um, are both teams better than they were? In week one, worse, Ooh.
2: same? I think the Steelers are much better. And really, I, I think we had this conversation after the week one game. I thought both teams in that game played losing football and it ended up in a tie. It was and I, I said after that game, you know, if, if the Steelers would have played Cincy or Baltimore, they lose by two touchdowns. If they played the Patriots, they'd have lost by four. You know, I mean it was not well played game. I think the Steelers are drastically better. Um, although their defense played pretty well against Cleveland. People forget that. I mean, one of the touchdowns they let up was a one-yard drive. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they played well. Where are they better, Matt? The Steelers? Yeah. I think Ben's much better. I mean, I really think he was struggling the first couple games with his accuracy and his decision-making. Um, I think the line and the running game are very legit. I trust the defense more, although I was one of the few that didn't overreact to the Kansas City game told people, Kansas City's going to do this to everybody. (laughs) And they really have. And they didn't have Joe Hayden. And they didn't have Joe Hayden. And I know we often talk about the splits with and without Shazir, but the ones without Hayden are almost as drastic. You know, I mean, he really is a stabilizing force. I also think that for two reasons. I mean, first of all, they're lighted corner besides him. He's a really good player. But I also think that the coverage busts when he's in the lineup are far and few between. And I don't think it's an accident either. I mean, he's a veteran guy. I think he's got a lot of influence back there, too. I, I think these, these teams are going two different directions, though. I mean, the the Browns, to me, are much better at the quarterback position now than they were. And the Browns are dropping a ton of passes. I know Baker's numbers aren't wonderful, but he's been under an unbelievable amount of pressure, and his receivers aren't helping him.
1: Yeah, Their receiving core yeah. um, is really poor. It makes you Bad. wonder. You know, what was it that Josh Gordon did that finally was the last straw?
2: Yeah, right. And he looks good in New England sure right does. now. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And even just to dump Carlos Hyde for a fifth-round pick, you know, they're, they're lacking in talent. And a big thing about this team to me, well, back to the quarterback position, I mean, Tyrod Taylor couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You know, Mayfield's an accurate passer of the football. And Taylor beat up on the Steelers as a runner, which I thought was kind of inexcusable. But Mayfield's a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, he, he's making the throws. He's just not getting the help. He's not the problem on offense for them. Uh, in general, by the way, we should mention this because we'll get to the
1: offense, the offensive line. Uh, Marcus Gilbert is out for this game. Oh, is he? Okay. Again, Matt Filer will start. Yeah, That's a whole different thing. I mean, I think M- Marcus Gilbert is a you know very solid tackle, maybe yeah. underrated. But I also did a study um, last year, and irrespective, of the drug suspension that he got last year, which cost him four games. In his career, he has missed more than 25% Mm -hmm. of the games. Now, here's another one. I think this is the second one this year. Yeah, here
2: is. I I mean, mean, apparently it's a trend, right? That's a lot. It is, and I know that the numbers without him are a little, you know, the offense struggles without him. I think Filer's a decent replacement, but I think he's more guard than tackle. Um, Maybe, I guess Chooks is just, Strictly a left at this point, and they're comfortable with him on the left, but not the right. Probably not ready. You're probably not ready. You know, although he comes out there as a six lineman at times, um, it is a little worrisome though. It makes you wonder how long is Gilbert going to be around? Do you have to prepare for his replacement? Should Chooks start taking more snaps on the right side? You know, is this something? It's too much of a trend. Yeah, it's, I mean it's over twenty five percent, and right. you know, I'm not
1: saying that they're not you know serious injuries, but no, right? Um, you know, and I just wonder if this we're got off track here. I just wonder if this is the year you would think about doing something because you're probably going to let Ramon Foster go. I would think because so. Because you've got
2: Finney to step right in at a much cheaper price. Right. And and frankly, I think Finney's the better player right now. I'm not saying I'd make that move because the continuity and the leadership and all that stuff is great, but I think they're not going to miss a beat there, that maybe they can't afford to add another tackle. or It also makes you wonder, too, how often does he go out there with things bothering him, too? Gilbert. Yeah, because you know, apparently he's got you know a plethora of injuries.
1: Let's get back to Baker Mayfield. Yeah, um, are you surprised by? Were you always high on him? Were you? Are you surprised? Um, how do you evaluate his performance thus far?
2: I think it's stellar, and I liked him, but I would not have taken him first overall. There's a couple quarterbacks in this draft I like better, so yeah, I am surprised. Um, watching him in the preseason, though, I quickly became a believer. Um, I really like his footwork and poise in the pocket, which you rarely see out of rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Moves very well within the confines of the pocket. He's not a break-the-play-open, playmaker type. I mean, he really stays within the structure of the offense. Had a better arm than I remember watching him in college. More accurate, um, eyes downfield. He looks like a pro quarterback already. Again, though, their protection's so bad. I mean, three games in a row they've let up five sacks or more and the receivers aren't helping them. So, again, it's he's not the problem. You know,
1: I wondered at the time, before the draft, that their best move would have been to take Barkley, mm-hmm. and then they still could have gotten one of the best quarterbacks, maybe even Mayfield, at number four. But the play of Denzel Ward, who they took with number four, does, does that sort of you know mitigate their decision to do what they did?
2: Yeah, and I would have I – mean, not to argue with what you said, but if you did take a quarterback at one, I would have taken Chubb at four, the the, the outside pass rusher, put him opposite Garrett, kind of like Denver has now with Von Miller, because I'm more of a believer of building from, I'd rather have big guys than little guys in terms of stopping the pass. But with the second they took Ward, I said, I guarantee in that draft room, they said, well, this is who's going to guard A.B. You know, this is who's going to guard A.J. Green. He's a little bit small, but so is A.B. You know, like, I, I think... And he's been great. I mean, to be honest, he's been really, really good. So their first two picks absolutely look like hits. When you look at the Browns,
1: and you know the other Chubb, Nick Chubb, is mm-hmm. now the go-to running back. I assume that's why they traded away Carlos Hyde. Uh, the Browns have been very prolific in turnovers. Have, have you been able to watch them? Where's that coming from? Is that from the pass rush?
2: Yeah, that's really interesting because last year – they were by far the worst team in the league with turnover ratio. They spotted their opponents almost two turnovers a game, you know, every game. I mean, it was 1.75. this year, So, what'd they do? I mean, they got rid of Kaiser, and it was a lot of his problems, but it was also scheme, didn't help. And they got Tyrod Taylor, who, including Alex Smith, is the most conservative ball you know, guy in the league with protecting the football. So, clearly, it was a you know, precedent. Um, but on defense, they're very aggressive, they're heavy blitz. Um, the thing is though, is takeaways to me aren't something you can count on. you know, giveaways are trends takeaways, sure, if you're a little bit more aggressive if you have a great pass rush, um if you play a little more zone, you're probably prone to more takeaways, but I think it's a little bit fluky, and I think they've taken the ball away twenty times. Does that sound right to you I'm pretty sure twenty twenty two something like yeah, that yeah i mean it's it's basically three a game. I mean, I think it's, yeah, because they've played seven games and somewhere between 20 and 22 takeaways. And my takeaway from that is imagine where any team in the league would be if they had three takeaways every game. You know, they should be six and one. You know, I mean, that, like, that's not a ringing endorsement for the coaching staff that you still have a losing record. But they could have been.
1: Um, and they go to overtime every four game. overtimes, <laughs> right. and you know, and their place kicker at le- cost them at least one game, probably yeah. two. Right. Um, but then you get into the intangible of you know they they still don't know they 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 are reliably uh, on on board with finding ways to lose, but mm-hmm. they haven't figured out how to win.
2: Right, and that's that's one of the problems. Well, first of all, just take a quick step back. The the only game they didn't create a lot of turnovers was the San Diego game. They only they got, created one, they and they killed. got crushed. I mean, that's a good team, Um, but I think you're right, you know, that going back to the whole Sashi Brown idea of getting rid of all the veterans and starting over, it's interesting, and I didn't think it was a terrible idea, but then you have to reinvent the culture totally, like, wouldn't Mitchell Schwartz be useful at right tackle as sure. just a veteran? You know, I mean, I know Joe Thomas retired, but... Cam Irving is starting for the Chiefs. Joe Hayden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, Joe right, Hayden, right. right. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, keep a couple guys that at least could be the veteran leaders to show you, even though they didn't win a lot of games, at least understand how winning and losing works in this league. So you're reinventing a whole culture. And by the time you probably get there... Mayfield and Ward and Njoku and Garrett are all going to be free agents together, you know, and they're going to be making huge money probably somewhere else. Yeah. So, how do you view this game Sunday? I think it's a blowout in the Steelers' favor. I, I would be really shocked if they, quote, come out flat, uh, especially after tying them and kind of embarrassing themselves in week one. They're very, very healthy. They should be very fresh. And the thing we didn't touch on about the Browns is, they're playing so many rookies, and I very much do believe in a rookie wall. And it's a much different year than they're used to because all the draft prep and coming to camp. And they've played so many snaps that people are starting to fall. The depth is starting to be tested. The rookies are starting to come back to earth. Like, they're, they look like they're already worn out. And maybe emotionally, too. That's a tough, that's a yeah.
1: tough, when you lose that many games or you're in overtime, you have a chance to win. And then you lose on a 59
0: yard field goal right.
1: after the same guy missed a 40. You figure, oh, good, here we are. Yeah. Um, I can understand that. I, I do want to get your thought because this is just generally in pro football. We discussed it in the break and um, uh, I talked about it last hour. This really stood out to me, the graphic in the Post Gazette today, that of the eight and yards per game, always aren't a true indicator of a defense's. Sure, competence. Um, but of the eight quote worst defenses, past defenses meaning yards per game, you could say six of them have really good offenses. Um, you could even add Tampa Bay in there if you want. At times, they yeah, have I think been. they count. All yeah. right, so uh, the Browns are the only ones who don't have a great offense. What do you make of this? We we talked about some theories with some of our listeners um, a little little bit
2: ago. Yeah, you brought up a good one off the air saying that if you're the Chiefs, for example, and the Chiefs Steelers is a great example. They get up on teams quick and they run away with it. So teams don't run against them. You know, I mean, I think that there's certainly some truth to that. Um, I think some of it is because in today's salary cap, you got to kind of cut corners somewhere. And if you have a great, you know, if you've got a, a Goff or a Mahomes or Tampa Bay situation where a young up and coming quarterback, all the rage nowadays is surround them with every weapon you possibly can Worry about defense later. Like the Rams are a good example. Like when McVeigh took over, all their offseason was about Whitworth and Watkins and, you know, using all, let's make Goff's life easier. That's project number one. And then this past year, they went and got Tlaib and Peters and Sue. Okay, like Wade Phillips, you got to deal with it week one or the first year without it, and now we'll get you some pieces finally. You know, the Bears did it this offseason around Trubisky. But it is a little shocking, you know, because the top, and therefore we're getting crazy amounts of points and passing yards in the league right now, too, because there's a handful of teams you just look at and say, well, they play in a shootout every week. And the Chiefs are the best example. I mean, their defense is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's, you know, ranks last, but maybe that doesn't matter anymore. Right. Uh, you know, we also said that, you know, they get up on teams. So, like you said, yeah. um, you can't afford great players on defense, although, as we discussed in the top 15 picks every year, corners, Oh, pass yeah. rushers, and they're, they're at a premium. And but I guess you can't, ones, right? yeah, but yeah. you can't afford to fill in with a good um, inside backer or a, a free safety yeah. that can, it can be an impact player.
2: Yeah, and I absolutely think that passing schemes and offensive schemes took a massive step forward. They hit the fast forward button this last year or two, and defenses hadn't caught up. But that doesn't excuse why the great offenses have bad defenses either. I mean, no. I, I think some of it's coincidence. I think some of it is also like the Peyton Manning theory. Like when Polian built the Colts, he knew he had a Hall of Fame quarterback. So year after year, they used first-round picks on Marvin and Wayne and Dallas Clark and Gonzalez and Edger and James, and they had Freeney and Mathis in a dome, and everybody else was just like replacement guys. You know, I mean, they knew they could rush the passer in a dome. You know, you had to keep up with Peyton Manning. Played real basic schemes on defense. And that formula worked for the most part. You know, you outshoot people.
1: This is probably, I should say this for another time, but, you know, there's always been, you know, a trend. I remember talking to Hank Stram back in the 70s, um, and he said, uh, I said, what do you think of the next trend in the NFL football? He said, I think, and he was doing the Monday night football games with Jack Buck back in those days, and he was a guest on my talk show back then. And I said, what's the next trend? He said, you'll see multiple substitutions on offense. You'll see like five yeah. guys come in, five. and Nobody did that back then. He was like a visionary. Yeah. So so you get to be a visionary. What will defenses do next to try to counteract this wide-open offense?
2: The Ravens are already doing it. The Raven, Well, first of all, you're seeing the Patriots. We've heard about it with the Steelers, with this dollar package. Put a lot of defensive backs on the field. Because going back to those days, think about it. Like in the 70s, if you were to defend Swan and Stallworth, That was a handful. Wow. They got two really good receivers. And then Newsom and Winslow and these guys came along like chargers have three really good receivers. How are we going to defend that? And then all of a sudden everyone has three wide and a tight end that can't block and receive. And now everyone's having McCaffrey and Gurley and Lev bell. Like they have five exceptional receivers and we're trying to defend them with, you know, 260 pound stiffs. You know, (laughs) we got to put a lot of speed on the field. We got to put, seven coverage players on the field to help these guys. Um, but what I was going to say with the Ravens is one thing you're really seeing from them is they're not allowing teams to get a real good pre-snap read. And we've seen LeBeau do this, like that amoeba walking around type of deal. Yeah. With the theory now, though, that, okay, if they snap the ball and I'm out of position and we allow a big play, so what? They get big plays anyway. You know, everyone gets big plays now. But if we can get them in an uncomfortable play call because they don't know what we're doing – then we we win more battles than we lose. And they put a lot of defensive backs on the field.
1: And if they score, we'll score back.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you get scored on. You Just expect it now. It's crazy. What a world. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Williamson, don't forget, on SNR, and he joins us every Friday. Thanks,
0: Matt. Always a great discussion. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, thank you. Matt Williamson.